Did you know that you can live a life that's even better than the highest rank your company has to offer? My name is Emily Gibson. I'm a master network marketer and a certified life coach. There is more beyond the rank. And if you're willing to go with me, I can show you how. Let's go. Hey there, everybody. Happy Tuesday. I wanted to talk about grief today. Grief is a tricky little son of a bee. (laughs) I just don't know any other way to say it. So that's just how I'm laying it down today. And one of the things that I have personally learned about grief is that it sneaks up on you like a period. (laughs) There are seven layers of grief phases in the psychology world. And the thing about it that's so tricky is that it comes out of nowhere when you're least expecting it. That's why I like to call it a period. Because grief is like getting your period on your wedding day and just looking up at God like, thanks for that. Great timing. And there's just no better way to describe it. (laughs) Grief itself is an emotion. And it comes from experiencing tremendous loss. The thing about it, though, is that it doesn't necessarily mean that someone or something has died. Someone or something can still be alive, well, and living. But if you have experienced tremendous loss from it, you can grieve as if that something or someone has died. Grief is an emotion of sadness that is so deep inside of your soul that it feels like someone is pulling your heart down from your chest deep into your body. Like imagine the way that I the way that I experience grief and if you are someone that has experienced tremendous loss maybe you've lost a parent or a family member or a child a spouse whatever it is you know what grief is I had never experienced grief ever like I did in the last 2 years and what I learned about grief is that if you don't allow it and process it, it just makes it worse and harder later, just like any emotion. But with grief especially, it is an emotion that if you don't release it, I feel like it is one of the more powerful emotions that does more havoc inside of your body than any other negative emotion that you can experience. And so it's so important that if you are someone who has experienced tremendous loss, whether it's a job, a relationship, a a pet that's dying, they actually have research that shows in the psychology world that if you love an animal like you or you treat an animal like a baby, like a human baby, 
that when your pet dies, that your brain doesn't know how to grieve the loss of a pet any different than it would grieve the loss of an actual human being. Now, if you treat that pet like a an animal, then it's going to be different. But your brain, if you treat your pet like an actual baby, then your brain doesn't know how to differentiate the loss of an animal versus a baby. It just sees it as a human life lost. And it can be very, very difficult to process. So whatever kind of loss you've experienced, if you don't allow that grief, because it doesn't feel good. Grief does not feel good. Grief is a lonely feeling. It is a deep sorrow. It is, again, like the best way that I can describe it is like a hand inside of you grabs your heart and then just pulls it deep, deep down into you throughout your whole body. And it's this slow tugging and grabbing and pulling that makes everything slow in your life, in your body, in your brain, all of it. And if you were to look up the seven stages of grief, the thing about it is that first, when you have a loss, you're going to experience shock. This oftentimes is where you are going to just be sitting there thinking, I don't even think this is real. I can't believe this is happening. And it's so normal to experience that before the loss is even completely gone. Like for example, if you know that a family member is about to die, or if you know that a friendship needs to end, oftentimes you'll experience shock before the death or the loss of the friendship even happens. And it's where you are preparing for that loss that the grief begins sometimes. Now, if if death or loss has come on suddenly, then shock will typically happen right at that moment. And then from there, you might experience denial or pain. That is like the second phase, the second stage of grief is that denial, that pain. And then the third stage is oftentimes anger. Anger that in my opinion, in our society, anger is an emotion that we are taught to not feel. We are taught that it's bad. We're taught that we shouldn't be angry. We're taught to anger slowly as Christians. We are taught that if you feel angry, you should get out of it as fast as possible. But anger is just another human emotion. And so when we suppress it, when we tell ourselves we shouldn't feel it, it really slows down our process not only of allowing anger to leave our body, but also it slows our process when we're feeling it as one of the stages of grief. And grief is not linear, by the way. Grief is not something that you're like, oh, phase one, shock, check, moving on to denial and pain, check, check. Now we're on to anger. Let's be really, really mad, check. It's not that type of a thing. What happens is, is you'll bounce around between the seven stages of grief over and over and over again. And it's not something that ever really goes away. Grief is not something that you'll ever totally be rid of because loss in the human brain is something that we don't, we're not necessarily programmed to ever get over. And so 
when you are in anger in a grief and in a grieving process, and this is something I want to point out too, there is the emotion grief. That is the loss, the pain that we feel, the sadness, that is grief. And then there is the action of grieving. And the way that I look at grieving, there's many, many ways that you grieve. And there's lots of different ways that a human being will grieve as an action. Grieving is an action word. And it's what you do after feeling the emotion of grief. And those seven stages of grief are what I believe are the healthiest way to process the emotion of grief is allow is to grieve. And so when you're feeling anger in that grieving process, that action line of what has happened to you, this loss that you've had, when you experience anger, typically when I look at anger, anger feels very powerful. Anger is an emotion that makes us feel like we are in control. It's oftentimes why when we are maybe a, a toddler is having a tantrum, we will we'll get really big like, you better stop doing that. And maybe we'll raise our voice. It's because when we feel anger, we typically feel a sense of control. But the thing about anger and hatred for that matter is because they're emotions that are so energetically draining, we get tired of them. And when we get tired of them, we begin to get to what's underneath them. In psychology, Psych 101, they talk about how anger is a secondary emotion and how anytime you're feeling anger, there was an initial emotion that you felt first that you then switched in to anger to cover up anger because you didn't want to feel that emotion anymore. And when I went through coach certification, I asked about this from my instructor, Katie, and she said to me, she said, I've never, I've never felt, I've never found that to be useful when coaching clients. And it really totally shook my core beliefs around what I had learned in college in psychology. As I have become master coach certified and now coached thousands and thousands and thousands of clients with the model in my own practice. I totally understand what she's saying now, and I absolutely agree with her. And that's because when you experience an emotion and then you experience anger after, like when you experience grief and then you experience anger after, it's not that you're covering up the emotion of grief with anger, which is how I believe the psychology word would, world would explain it. It's not that you're doing that. And this is why I love the model so much. It's that you have a model on top of a model. So you're, you're experiencing grief. It's coming from a thought, from a circumstance that's happened to you. And as you feel grief, then you go into your actions, right? We, our thoughts create our feelings and then our feelings are where we take action from. So as you're experiencing grief, you might notice that you isolate yourself. You might notice that you beat yourself up or blame other people. You might criticize someone. You might be looking at whose fault it is. You might find that you are self-soothing and self-medicating. This is very, very common in 
in these stages. And we'll get, we'll get to that more in the, um, in the fourth and fifth, well, more like the fifth stage of grief and depression. But, um, but when you are experiencing that emotion in your action line, you're going to be doing things because you feel grief that are part of the grieving process. And anger is sometimes one that comes from that, but it comes from another thought on, on in a new model. And when I say a model, I'm talking about the CTFAR model that I'm always teaching you about here that I'm certified in as a life coach through the life coach school. Circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. Because we're human beings, anything that we encounter is a circumstance. Then we have a thought about it where we attach meaning. And from that thought, our brain releases a chemical and a hormone called an emotion that vibrates throughout of our throughout our body and gives us information that we need to know. And from those feelings, that's where we take action from. And our actions are our behaviors. And our behaviors ultimately lead to our results. But we think that it's the circumstances that are causing the problems in our life. But it's not. It's what we think about the circumstances that create our results, which is the best news ever. Because we don't have to try to control anyone to change the results in our life if our thoughts are creating all of them. It's us that's responsible for the results. It's us that's in control of the results in our life by what we choose to think. And it doesn't mean that we always need to think positive thoughts and always feel positive emotions. We're not going to. 50% of the time, we're going to experience positive emotions. 50% of the time, we're going to experience negative emotions. It's not that positive emotions are good and negative emotions are bad. There are just positive and negative emotions. And our brain thinks that one is better than the other and it's wrong. It's a thought error. And so when you're feeling anger in this third stage of grief, it's not that you shouldn't be feeling it. It's not that it's wrong. It's not that it's trying to cover up the grief. It's that you are experiencing grief. And as you're experiencing grief, you are having thoughts that are creating an additional emotion, a secondary emotion on top of the grief, oftentimes anger. What that's going to look like is you're going to feel mad. You're going to want to take, and and this, again, this is where the empowerment piece comes in. It's why you, it's why anger feels so good in the phases of grief. If you lost someone in a tragic car accident, you might feel really angry at God. You might feel really angry at the driver that caused it. If you have a loved one that committed suicide, you might be really angry with them during this phase of grief. If you have lost a friendship or you have had something happen with work, you might be really angry at the people that you think might have caused it. This is where you're going to be blaming a lot. This is where you're going to be shaming others a lot. It might be where you're also judging and criticizing yourself. The next phase is bargaining. And when you are looking at this process of the seven stages of grief, when you are bargaining, right? That is where you are making promises to yourself and asking the universe to like make it right. Someone who has lost something or someone may look for a reason here where there's just no reason. Like for example, it might be that you lost a job promotion and you feel like there's just no good reason for it. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you didn't say the right thing. And you feel like if I could just make it right, if I could just prove to them that that I was the right person for this job or whatever it is, then 
you may start to feel guilty about how you behaved and then you start to blame people. And like, I could have been doing things differently or if I'd only stopped, um, then, then this could have been prevented. If I would have said this differently, if I would have handled myself differently, like this is all part of the bargaining fourth phase of grief. And from there, you typically move into depression. But I also, again, just want to clarify it's not linear. So it's not like you're going to be like phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four. Now we're on to phase five. It's more like you're going to hit one and then two and then three. And then maybe you go back to two and then maybe you go back to one. Then you go to four. Then you're like three. Then you're like, okay, five. We're moving into depression now. And depression is the fifth phase stage of grief. And it is where you typically isolate the very most. You might have anxiety. You might have a lot of dread. It's where suffering from the loss seems like it's almost too much to bear. Oftentimes, this is also where you might feel most uh, drawn to numb out. So oftentimes, when people are in this fifth stage of grief, they will turn to alcohol or drugs to help soothe them. They might get on an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication. Um, but but a lot of times you'll see people turn to alcohol or drug, drug addictions at this point. Not like... I mean, over-the-counter medications, you'll, you might be... Subs, you might be... Um, subs, uh, prescribed. I'm like subscribed. <laughs> Subscribe to the podcast, everyone. Um, you might be prescribed a medication here um, by your by your provider, your medical provider. But sometimes people don't do that. They just start to self-medicate with alcohol, with drugs, whatever it might be. And if that has happened to you, or if that is happening to you, or if you feel that craving and that desire it makes perfect sense why you would feel that way because depression is such a hard thing to handle and cope with on your own when you are going through these phases of grief. The sixth phase, oh, and by the way, if you can avoid giving in to those desires to drink, to self-medicate with drugs or alcohol, especially if you need to get an anti-anxiety medication, if you need to get an antidepressant, by all means, talk to your provider and get what you need. If you are more wanting to self-medicate with alcohol and drugs, the more that you can not give in to that, the faster you will move through grief. So I ju- I know how hard it is to want to numb out. I know how hard it is to look at how easy it would be just to have that glass of wine or uh or you know like whatever it is that your brain's like let's just do that. That will make us feel better. If you can just resist the urge when you are in this specific phase of grief, you will move through the phases so much faster and your healing process will be faster. It will still be slow because grief is not something you can rush through, but it will help you avoid getting stuck in this depression state for a long, like like if you start using alcohol and drugs during this time, you can be stuck in this depression state for years and years and years instead of like six months. Not saying that 
it's going to be six months and that's the time. For some people, it's faster than that. For others, it's longer. But I know for me personally, when I was in the worst of my grief, all I wanted to do was drink and smoke pot. And I never did it, not once. And it's not something that I've wanted to do since high school. And yet, when I was in my deepest depression state in the grieving process, I remember sitting in my living room just thinking, all I want to do is that. And I just noticed the desires. I noticed the urges. And I would I would just talk myself out of it. And I really am so grateful for my religious beliefs and the morals and the standards that I live by because it was those morals and standards. Not saying that if you drink or that if you do drugs that morally you're wrong or anything like that. Like you get to decide what that is and looks like for you. It's all up for your decision. But for me, my religious beliefs were the only thing that really kept me on that like path of avoiding it when I really just wanted to give in and soothe my depression with those things. And see, when we drink and when we do drugs in depression, we are seeking for a dopamine hit so we can feel better. But the problem with that is that we are buffering the negative emotion. We're not allowing the depression. We're not experiencing it. And again, prescribed medications by your provider, anti-anxiety meds, antidepressants, these are not included in this category because those are things that temper your emotions, not buffer completely out of them. It just brings you chemically into a more substantial, like more median state. And that is every, that's everyone's own personal decision. I did not go on, on medication um, and I just, I feel like it's important for me to, ex- to share my experience because I, I literally couldn't believe the desire and the craving to use alcohol and drugs during that time. And it was as I didn't even know about the seven stages of grief back then. I just, I didn't even know I was grieving. I didn't even know I was experiencing grief. It wasn't until about six months later that I was, I was researching online and I found the seven stages of grief. And I thought, Oh oh my gosh, I'm not having a faith crisis because I was thinking like, am I having a faith crisis here? Like what's wrong with me? Like I haven't touched alcohol since I was 19. Like what, what is happening to me? Like it, it, it really, I really started questioning my faith and my beliefs. Like, like, do I really believe any of this? Like if I do, why would I even want these things? And that's when I, I, that's why I'm sharing this today because if you are grieving or if you're experiencing grief, sometimes you don't know what it is and you don't have a word for it and you just think you're going crazy and that things are unraveling. And I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with what you're thinking and feeling ever. And that grief is very real and it's different for every person. And that if you do have those desires and those urges, it's totally normal because it's part of what the human brain thinks it needs to survive through that depression. But if you can resist the urge, like I was able to do, 
you will move through it faster and the pain will be less. If you buffer out with alcohol and drugs, which you might be doing or you may have done, and if that's if that's so, like give yourself comfort for that. Give yourself compassion. It makes so much sense why you would and most people do. It's more common for people to give into those things than to not. But what the research shows is if that you can if you can avoid it, then you're going to feel less pain and that's because when you're in this phase and you're feeling depression and then you go and you drink or you do drugs, it buffers you out of it and then you have to deal with the pain of that and the pain of the depression so you're feeling the pain twice. People will often say in the depression stage like um they don't really know how anyone can help them. They don't know how to ask for help. And um, oftentimes they feel really hopeless. Like it's never going to get better. They're never going to get out of this. Nothing's ever going to change. And um, it feels like a very dark, deep place to be that you're never going to get out of. I remember thinking, I'm probably never going to be excited about anything ever again. Um, I don't know if I'll ever really feel happy again. It was it was just the weirdest thing I've ever experienced in my life because I've never been that depressed before. The sixth stage of grief is acceptance and hope. And this, a lot of times the depression stage in the depression stage, you'll bounce back and forth between stage two with anger or sorry, um, with denial and pain. And then you'll go to like bargaining, like blame, shame, then back to anger, then to depression again. And you'll just kind of bounce around like two, three, four, five, all in there, all out of order for long periods of time. But eventually what happens, and you don't really believe that you're ever going to get to this next stage, stage six, which is acceptance and hope. And I feel like this stage is one of the most beautiful stages in the phases of grief. And that is where you begin to have hope that maybe, just maybe, things are going to get better. Humans by nature crave contact, connection, and support. And at some stage in the grieving process, they're going to want to engage with friends and family again. So what I when I noticed this happening for myself, we had gone on a trip to Hawaii with all of our friends. And I started feeling excited to like go out and hike and jump in waterfalls and do the things that used to bring me a lot of joy. I started feeling that again. And I started wanting to be around people more. And as an extrovert, it had been a long time since I had felt that. It had been like a year and a half since I had felt that way. And so it was just like, oh my gosh, there I am. I'm still there. I'm there underneath all this grief and sadness. There's this happy moment we just had. Wow, that felt good. And it just kept like, it was just that like this one trip to Kona was just this like turning point in my grieving process. And I remember coming home from that trip thinking, maybe things are like turning around. Maybe I'll actually like feel happy again one day. Like I feel this, I feel joy right now. Joy is something that I think is deeper than happiness. It's better than happiness. Joy is something that you're able to feel when you have felt great sorrow. It is only when you have felt great great grief and great sorrow and great loss that you can truly understand what joy actually feels like. And it's something 
on a totally different planet than happy. Happy is just like, oh, yay, good day, happy day. But joy is this more, has different layers of happiness. Like happiness, in my opinion, is offensive to the word joy and to the emotion joy because joy is so much deeper in true pleasure. And so when you're in this acceptance and hope phase, um, it's it, it almost feels like, you're getting away with something like, should I be happy right now? This, this feels so odd. And, um, and so sometimes this is where you might slip backwards and find yourself feeling overwhelmed from all of the emotions again. And it's totally normal to move between any stages of grief, even from hour to hour or minute to minute. And so what I just want to offer to you is to give yourself permission to grieve and have patience with yourself because that's the true gift of the grieving process when you can just give yourself patience to go in and out of all these stages of grief and to not judge and criticize yourself for it. I know for me, even as I've gone through all these phases myself, when you get to the seventh stage of grief, you think you've beat it. You're like, yes, we made it. Good job, self. But in that stage of grief, the biggest gift is you realize that there's no wrong or right way to grieve. And it's the process, like the process is very individualized to you. There's no quick fix to grief. There's no way to grieve. The healing process takes a tremendous amount of time and it's going to vary from person to person. There's just no normal time frame. So being patient for yourself during this time is huge. One of the ways that I personally recognized that I was in this seventh stage of grief happened after I had been in in stage six for about mm, six months. And I went to I went to an event and all I felt was grief for two days. And I was like, oh my gosh, the grief period came and I wasn't expecting it. I didn't even prepare for this. Like I went into the event. Normally I had, when I was going into events, I would sit and I'd be like, oh my gosh, we have to get ready. This is going to be hard. This is going to be really painful. And I'd like try and get my mind ready. And because I had been in the seventh, sorry, in the sixth phase of grief of like acceptance and hope and, and that Hawaii trip had been so great. I was like, I'm good. I've made it. Yay. Like go me. And then this event just like, it was like the worst period I ever had. <laughs> and funny enough, I think I was even on my period that week. So it, I think it just like amplified everything. But I, but like, I, I really do think that grief is just like a period. And you just like, it's like getting your period and in, in white pants on your wedding day. Like it's just comes out of nowhere. And you're like, really today, did you have to do it at this time? Like, this is so inconvenient. I don't want to be feeling this way. I am serious. I'm so embarrassed that I'm sitting here crying at a table and nothing has even happened to me. And when you experience grief and, and you're, you're, you're just crying for what appears to be no reason at all because you're grieving, people will come to you and they'll say, oh my gosh, what is wrong? Are you okay? Like, do you need to talk about it? And what you will understand as someone who is allowing grief and grieving in your life is nothing happened and nothing is wrong. When you are crying and you are grieving, nothing is wrong. 
and everything is, is and and you're you should be doing that. And so the way that I realized that I was in that seventh stage of grief, it was during that that those two days where I was finally able to just express my grief in words. And I was able to write about it in a way that I've never been able to write about it before. I was able to connect with people about my grief and grieving. I was able to verbalize and ask for help, which was huge for me. And then some other things that can, that I noticed myself doing in this process was I was breathing through the grief, like, this is fine. We're experiencing grief. Grief is normal. Of course, we would be sobbing right now, sitting at a table in a room full of people that are happy and excited. Of course, we would be sitting here crying and there's nothing wrong with us. And we should totally be feeling this way. And it makes perfect sense why. And so when you are in that final phase of grief, some other things that will start happening for you, and this also happened for me, is I had a greater desire to sleep again. And I noticed that I was no longer in adrenal fatigue. I noticed that I started going to bed at 10.30 every night and waking up at 6.30. And I am a night owl by trade. (laughs) And my kids on all of their school assignments always say, what like when it's like, what's your mom's favorite hobby? They all, all of them would say sleeping in. And I can't even sleep in now if I try. I can't. I go to bed at 10 30 or 11 and I wake up at 6 30 or 7. And it's this beautiful thing that I just never realized how my nervous system was so completely, it was in overdrive and in fight or flight for so long that I was in complete adrenal fatigue and didn't even realize it until I was in that sixth stage of grief where I had that hope and that acceptance and my nervous system was finally able to release. And also I had done therapy and I have, I've even tried hypnosis. I've done a lot of things to release these things. And I think that's played a huge part in it. I would recommend it to everyone. Like just try all the things. If someone's like, would you like to do hypnosis? I'd be like, yep, sure do. When do we start? Would you like to try therapy? Yep, sure do. When do we start? Would you like this crystal to wear around your neck? Sure would. And it doesn't have to mean anything about you as a Christian if you try all these different modalities because I believe that God put these things on earth for us. Even in the Bible, it talks about stones and um and and crystals and things like that. And so like, I know there's a lot of debate around this and you don't need to message me if you disagree with me. We can just have different, 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 we can just agree on different things. It's fine. Um, but I know for me personally, as I went, as I've gone through this grieving process and at, through this healing process, being more open to anything, any of the God winks, I call them God winks, but being open to those God winks I feel like he led me to all the ways that I have healed. Um, But taking deep breaths, getting enough sleep, eating healthy, exercising, making sure you're drinking lots of water, and even deciding ahead of time how you're going to answer questions about the loss that you experienced, whether you're going to share it with people or not, which I I never, I, I will never speak publicly about it, but 
the way that you share it, you can share it in a way that allows you to keep your privacy if you want to. And so having the deciding what you want to say that it's in te- that's in integrity with yourself ahead of time can help in some of those situations where people might not understand why you're grieving or, or what the loss is or whatever. And you don't have to explain it to them. But anyway, I hope that this has helped you today to hold a little more space for yourself more than anything else in whatever loss you have experienced or are experiencing in your life right now. Because grief is something that can be very confusing and very lonely and isolating. And it just comes out of nowhere when you're least expecting it. And oftentimes, just allowing yourself space and practicing awareness and and compassion for yourself throughout all these phases of grief will help you to move through it more quickly when you bounce back and forth in some of those stages throughout your life. So I hope that this has helped you today. If you struggle with grief and if you're looking for help with grief, I hope you'll come join me inside of Beyond the Rank. Even if you don't do network marketing or you've done it in the past and you don't want to do it anymore, Beyond the Rank is so much more than helping you with your business. It's helping you in all areas of your life because everything is interconnected. And inside of the community, I can coach you through whatever it is that you're dealing with, whether it's grief or depression or um, confusion or weight loss or problems with your teenagers or whatever it is. So I just want you to know that you don't need to suffer alone and that there is help for you out there. And if that's something that you are looking for more help for, I hope you'll go to the website, emilygibsoncoaching.com forward slash shop and give it a try. Because I know for me personally, there was no way that I could get through my grief alone. It was a lot of leaning on others' talents and gifts and helping pe- getting help from people who had walked where I was currently walking that helped me make my biggest progress. So just want to send out a big I love you today in whatever it is that you're grieving and help you to know that it's normal to have your feelings. It's normal to think what you're thinking. And it's so worth the work. It is the work worth doing to allow it all and process it. And it will get better one day. Love you guys. Bye now. Who is your life coach? If you don't have one, I would be so honored to be your coach. I've created a virtual program called Beyond the Rank that I want to invite you to join me in. We can address challenges, we can work on goals, and we can do it in so many different ways. We have group coaching, individual private coaching, and hundreds of hours of online courses and content that I'm creating just for you. When you're ready to take what you're learning on the podcast to the 10X level, then come check out Beyond the Rank at emilygibsoncoaching.com.